0: Welcome to the P-Vine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Luke chapter two, if you have your Bibles. Luke chapter two, I started last week a new sermon series entitled "Origins." We know the end of the story when it comes to Jesus, even though we haven't experienced it all yet, we know that uh, we, we have some, but we know that Jesus is resurrected. We know Jesus is king who is coming again, but who is the, as the Bible declares him, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we know at the end we win. We know at the end. All evil is done away with. All good is, uh, and by righteous, I don't mean good you've done, but all the righteous in Christ are in heaven, and uh, Jesus is their Lord. And so we, we know that. We know he's the king of the universe now, but pretty soon he'll be unopposed king, and so we know that's happening. We can read the book of the Revelation. However, it didn't start out that way. So what we want to go do is look over these, this month of December. We're looking at the origin story. How did Jesus start out. And so today, I want to preach this idea, don't get too busy for Jesus. And I'll explain that uh, as we get into the sermon. The fact is, we are a busy nation. The fact is, we are a busy people. And I want to say to you today, there's nothing wrong with being busy, but if you're busy about the wrong thing, something is wrong with that. If you're busy in the wrong way, there is something wrong with that. And we tend to be busy sometimes about all the wrong things and not be busy about the right things. Because of that busyness in our lives, it causes us an enormous amount of stress. And here's where you may be in your life. We are so busy January through November that when it gets to December, this added work that you have to do, mom, this added work that dad has to watch you do, mom, all of that adds up and causes us stress. Now, I read an article this week about second-hand stress. A researcher interviewed more than 1,000 kids in grades 3 through 12 and asked them, listen to this question, if you were granted one wish to change the way your mother's or father's work affects your life, what would it be? If you could change one wish about your mother, your father's work life, <coughs> what would it be? The answers were amazing. They almost never wish, get this, mom and dad, for extra FaceTime with their parents. Instead, here's what they wish for that their parents would be less stressed out and tired. When they asked the parents of those 1,000 kids the same questions, that idea never crossed their mind. Parents thought the kids wanted more FaceTime, when in reality, the, the, the kids just wanted there to be less stress in the home. We're busy. We're stressed out. 40 million Americans are sleep deprived. We work one hour longer per day than any nation on earth on average. Our work year is longer than any other industrialized nation on earth. And get this. Commuters on on a stress level indicator, commuters in America, that, that are people who have to drive a distance to work, listen, commuters in America, listen, are more stressed out than a fighter pilot is. How many people say amen to that, right? I mean, I've never been a fighter pilot, but I spent a lot of time in Atlanta traffic, and it made me want to fight somebody while I was there, right? I mean, an enormous, we carry with us this busyness. We carry with us this stress. And listen, here's what I want to tell you, church, that in the midst of our busyness, if we aren't careful, Jesus is what gets left out. See, in the middle of all of our business, we talk about how busy we are. We talk about the stress that's in our lives. And and look, that's a fact. Nobody's even debating that logic with you. You are busy. You are stressed out. You do have a lot going on. But in the midst of all of that busyness, if we aren't careful, we hold on to all of the things that don't matter and let go of all of the things that do matter. And the person that suffers the most in our life is not our family, but is Jesus. And that happened actually in the origin story. In the origin story in Luke chapter 2, the world got so busy that Jesus had to be born outdoors. And the only people that could come witness his birth were some shepherds. Let me read that story to you. Would you stand with me and let's look at Luke chapter 2. You're very familiar with Luke chapter 2, we have so many songs about it around the Christmas holidays, but Luke chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered or taxed. The census first took place while Quirinus was governor of Syria, governing Syria. Saul went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth and to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered and she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Suddenly, verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Thank you. You may be seated. Let me walk you through that text because what's happened when we looked last week, we're skipping ahead some in the story. Joseph has agreed to continue on with the wedding after speaking with an angel. And if you missed last week's sermon, you can go back and podcast it and find out that when Mary found out she was with child, there are a lot of complexities involved in that. And Joseph, uh, uh, we may look at that next week, but Joseph, who uh, uh, was going to be the father, has already agreed to be the father, and he's going to carry on as the husband Of Mary, And so we get to verse number one, the opening words of this famous section of scripture provide the setting uh, for the greatest of all stories by telling us that Caesar Augustus, Octavian, was the ruler of the world. Now if you remember world history at all, the ancient historians tell us that Caesar Augustus was the great nephew, you'll recognize this name, of Julius Caesar. He was a born fighter who clawed his way to power by defeating Antony and Cleopatra. And then, through just considerable force of person and genius, he ascended to the throne and stabilized the Roman Empire. It Kind of been on shaky ground. And he was the first Caesar to be called Augustus. Why is that important? It was a title that was bequeathed on him by the Roman Senate. Why is the title Augustus? even important, because the term Augustus means holy or revered. And up to that time, don't miss this, up to that time, the title Augustus had been reserved exclusively in Roman culture for the gods. So it was under Augustus that strides were taking towards making the Caesars not to be men, but to be gods. As a matter of fact, it's about the same time Luke is writing these words that some of the Greek cities in Asia Minor adopted Caesar's birthday, September 23rd, as the first day of the new year, hailing him as the savior of the world. There's an inscription at Helicarnesius that even called him the savior of the whole world. So the world had at its helm in verse number one, a self-proclaimed, widely accepted God and savior. Don't miss the irony of Luke chapter two, because the, the fact that Luke points out in verse number one, that the world had its God, little G, the world had its savior. Little s. He is a self-proclaimed God and Savior. And the contrast could not be different between verse number one and verse number four in proceeding. Look this way. On the one hand, we have a human who was laying claim to deity. And on the other hand, We have deity who was laying claim to humanity. On one hand, I've got a man who says, I'm a God. On the other hand, I've got God who says, I'm going to become a man. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 1, Luke is setting the stage so we understand. The world always has its gods, its little g's. But there is only one God, and his name is Jesus. So we find out all the way down through verse number five that Joseph and Mary head to Bethlehem because it is his ancestral city. And he took Mary because she was close to giving birth, and there they had to go to be registered and taxed. Verses six and seven, we find out that while they were traveling, she went into labor and we just unceremoniously, verse number seven, she gave birth to Jesus. And there are those famous words that we hear often during and sing about often during Christmas time. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was, the inn was full. Manger meaning a feeding trough for animals. And Jesus was born either in a stable or perhaps even in a cave. In verse eight, in Jesus's day, shepherding was not the most sought after job. As a matter of fact, shepherding was considered a necessary evil. Shepherds were considered unclean because of their work with animals. And literally, this is not a joke. This is factual. They were considered one step above a leper. They were so disregarded they, they were almost treated like leopards. And, so, leopards. and so while these shepherds are watching over their flocks at night, and they're sitting around a fire, no doubt, their angel of God is standing by their nighttime campfire. And suddenly the brightness of heaven was shining over these shepherds. And the angel gave a fourfold commandment. Don't be afraid. I have good news for all people. A Savior is born in Bethlehem, and you'll find him in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. The Bible says suddenly there was a host of angels, reminiscent of the host, same word used in Revelation, of the host described as around the throne of God. The host perhaps took a break from God's throne and went down and stood around a manger. Now, I didn't know until a couple of years ago there was actually controversy in verses 13 and 14 because we don't know if the heavenly host was saying or singing verse number 14. And I always assumed they were singing it. That's where we get, uh, you know, the doxology from. And so glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. How many of you thought that was a song they sang? Oh, now you're afraid to admit it, right? Like I thought it was. And then I read a visceral attack on us thinking that, um, that it's a song, that it wasn't a song. And I don't know why anybody would be upset over that, but they did one or the other. Either they said it very melodiously or they sung it one or the other. Glory to God in the highest. And so verse number 15, as the story concludes, the angels left and the shepherds made the executive decision to go check out this new baby. And the Bible says they went in a hurry and found Mary and Joseph and Jesus lying in a manger. That's interesting because it means that they found Jesus immediately after his birth because he was still lying in a manger. Not true with the wise men, but it's true with the shepherds. They saw Jesus immediately after his birth. And after they'd seen Jesus, they told the story far and wide. It says, widely known, and people marveled at the shepherds. And the Bible concludes with interesting words. In verse number 19, but Mary, uh, uh, verse number 18 and 19, and Mary treasured these words. She pondered the stories that she was told surrounding her son's birth. And the story concludes in verse number 20, the way it should conclude in our lives, that the shepherds praised God that he had allowed them to have some small part in the origin story of Jesus. In that story are words that help us live for Christ in the midst of our busyness. Lest you miss them, let me point them out. Let me tell you three things I want you to know. Number one, let me just, I don't often state it this way, but I want to state it as a plea. Number one, somebody please make room for Jesus. I don't often state a point that way. I just wanted to do it for emphasis. Somebody please make room for Jesus. Now, here's the truth. Now, hear me well. Look this direction and don't don't misquote me this morning. The story we portray in Christmas plays may not be totally accurate. Now, I didn't say the Bible wasn't totally accurate. It is. I said our version of the Christmas story may not be 100% accurate. Why? Because we write entire, entire children's Christmas plays based on one phrase in verse number seven, and there was no room for them in the end. I mean, how many of us have seen a children's play and the bad guy was the innkeeper. Let me see your hand, right? Like the villain was the innkeeper, right? And uh, funny thing, no innkeeper is mentioned in the verse, but we make one up and we throw stones at him, right? Because <laughs> the innkeeper wouldn't let Jesus in. Sorry, I have no more room for Jesus. You know, some I have no more. Room. And a couple of issues with that, Bethlehem today and then was a very tiny village, not a major city. Number two, they say that the Bethlehem was so small, there was probably, it could not support an inn. Now, when we hear inn, we think Hampton Inn, right? Like we think <laughs> breakfast in the morning and, and, and the manager uh, wouldn't even let Jesus go into the workout room and, and stay the night, ran him out in the parking lot and wouldn't let him in at the Hampton Inn, right? That, that's not totally accurate. As a matter of fact, the word used for in, in there, is often translated guest room and can even refer to someone else's home that had a guest room. And so we, we don't know. Now, listen, it may have been an, an actual inn. It wasn't a Hampton inn, but it may have been an inn. It may have been someone's home that they were planning on staying at, and the owner said, hey, look, I don't have room for... Uh, I don't have room for a lady and a birth. You can't be having no babies in here. My kids are little, you know, I don't don't want to see all that. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. They may have been kicked out of the house. They may have been kicked out of the inn. They may have been not allowed in the house. They may not have been allowed in the inn. Either way, I, I don't know who the bad guy was in this, but here's the point that is clear. No one made room for Jesus. And I know that you might be saying, well, wait, there are probably legitimate excuses for that. And it's, I want to agree with you. There were probably legitimate. There was probably no ill will involved in why Jesus was born outside. But don't miss this. Here's the King of kings, Lord of lords, creator of the world, God of gods, the only capital G God being born on earth. The King of the world the guy who spoke this into existence in Genesis chapter one, the guy that before there was an Adam and Eve says in the beginning there was God. And no one can make room for the King of kings and Lord of lords to be born indoors. But hold on, it's not much different today. See the same baby that was born in Bethlehem over 2000 years ago, grew up to be a perfect adult. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. He rose again on the third day, he ascends into heaven and he's now serving as our mediator before God Asking God to help us and answer our prayers. He provides us with every good gift from above. Every blessing from above. He comforts us when we're down. He guides us when we're confused. And listen, here's the truth. Let's just put it on the line. We can barely make room for him today. We find ourselves saying things like, hey kids, get up. We have to go to church today. Have to go to church Need to read my Bible some. Need? I mean, like, here is the king of the world, of the universe, of the galaxies. And we talk like he's an obligation. What is the state of affairs of our walk with God? Our relationship with the divine when we can't make room for Jesus in our lives. Because it seems like someone should be, someone that important shouldn't be included in our lives. Because, but here's the deal. Here's what's always true. Jesus came to earth unceremoniously as the Savior of the world. You know what that tells me about his relationship with us? Jesus is not going to come into your life with a high set of demands for relationship. He's just going to humbly slip in and ask, do you want to walk with me? Jesus, can I say it this way? Is no diva. He's not going to come in with a set of demands. Unlike Beyonce did for her show in 2013. Did you hear this? Beyonce in the midst of her Mrs. Carter world tour sent the following. A list was tame. They don't like to get this stuff out, but all the research I could do said it was true. Here's what she demanded before she performed. All crew members must wear 100% cotton clothing. I don't get it. Like, I don't know why. Somebody have to tell me after church why that matters, but apparently polyester is not in, all cotton is in, and and so everybody had to have one cotton Club. Not only that, she would only drink alkaline water that had been chilled to twenty one degrees that were served with nine hundred dollar titanium straws. Bathrooms had to have new toilet seats on them. I'm good with that. <laughs> if you ever been in a boy's bathroom, you get it, right? Like I I get it. But she demanded that only brand new red tissue paper be in the bathrooms. I've never seen red tissue paper. At Ingalls, it's all white when you walk down the aisle, so I don't know even where you would get red tissue paper. She demanded hand-carved ice balls made available after each show in order to cool her throat. Hand-carved ice balls. And she demanded newly refurbished luxury dressing rooms with enough space that's usually used to accommodate an entire football team. All of that for her to come out and sing for a couple hours. It tells you a lot about a person when that's their demands. But it tells you a lot about a person when there are no demands. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is born in a manger outside. See, Jesus came with none of those demands and it shouldn't surprise us because he's not going to make demands on you to have a relationship with him. Here's what Jesus is not going to do. He's not going to force you to make room in your life for him. He's not going to kick the door down. He's he's not going to make you have a relationship with him. He's not going to force you to say, hey, you need to have room for me in your life. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to knock He's going to whisper. He's going to ask. He's going to nudge. He's going to say, Why don't you make room for me in your life? But it's never going to be a scream. It's never going to be a shout. And if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Savior, let me ask you how much room do you carve out in your life for Jesus? How much room is there in your life for your walk with Him? I mean, how many of us can't get up and do a, a, a quiet time in the morning? How many of us never crack our Bibles open? How many of us never think about God during the day or walk with him during the day? Listen, Jesus is not going to demand his way in, but I'm telling you, somebody needs to make room for Jesus in their lives. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, I want to ask you a question this morning. What's the reason you will give to God for not making your salvation a priority when you stand before him? When you stand before God at judgment day, he's only gonna ask you one question. What did you do with my son, Jesus? And what are you gonna say? What is the reason you're going to give? Do you think being too busy is a good enough reason? No, no, somebody, 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 please make room for Jesus. Second thing I'm going to tell you that the passage tells us is number two, the proof is in the pudding. See, here's what the shepherds saw. Let me, let me walk you through what the shepherds saw in this passage. Now, don't miss this because we, we, we really, we, we, we look over things that we should pause on. For, because here's what I'm saying. They saw an angel of the Lord telling them about Jesus. Like just suddenly, Boom. There is an angel. How many of you have ever seen an angel? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have seen? None, right? But they saw an angel, none that you know, but you saw an angel. Not only that, they saw a host of heaven. I believe singing, but we'll leave it up for debate. (laughs) Glory to God in the heights on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. So when was the last time that happened to you? When was the last time you went, oh, look, honey, there's a heavenly host on the side of the road, (laughs) right? That's never happened to you. So here you have uh, 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 shepherds that have seen an angel of God, they've seen heavenly hosts and they probably saw them ascending to heaven. Now that should have been good enough reason for them to say, hey, let's go tell everybody that a savior has been born. Right, the angels told us about it. The heavenly host sang about it. God sent people down from heaven to do it. Let's just start telling people a savior's born, but it's not what they did. They didn't just start telling people. They said this. I love this. Verse number 15, and I'll paraphrase it. They said, we've got to go see this for ourselves. Really? You just had a whole band of angels telling you what was happening But here's the truth, even a band of angels can't take the place of seeing this baby for themselves. The truth is in the Christian life. I can tell you how great Jesus is. I can tell you how wonderful it is to be saved. I can tell you what it's like to have your sins forgiven. I can describe to you what it's like to have Jesus by your side. You can get other people to tell you how great it is to uh, to Jesus to comfort you and Jesus to guide you. You can read books about Jesus all day long. You can read the Bible. You can have other people tell you. You can watch testimonies online and all those can tell you how great it is to know Christ. But none of that compares until you experience him for yourselves. I I titled it, The Proof is in the Pudding. The original proverb is, here's the original proverb. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And, And what it meant was that you had to try out food to know whether or not it was good. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. As a matter of fact, when the, when the saying came about, pudding was not chocolate pudding. It would have been like a stew. And so the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It got shortened to the proof of the pudding is the eating. And in America, we just said the proof of the pudding is, now I've forgotten what we said. What do we call it? The proof is in the pudding. I got myself confused. The proof is in the pudding. Like we know what that means. So how many of you have a picky child eater at home? Let me, let me see your hand, right? Yeah, a lot of you. Yeah, so. You ever tried to, you ever had your kid do this? Uh, Try a green bean, right? Like Michaela, she'll be here at 11. I used uh, used to tell her, try a green bean. And I said, you don't get up until you try a green bean. We'd sit there for three hours and I'd give up. (laughs) Like, I know I shouldn't have, but after a while, enough's enough, right? Like, I'm tired of this now. Just eat a fudge round, you're good. And so... (laughs) So, Because here's the deal, you'd always say to, to the, that picky child, you'd always say to that picky child, hey, just try it, it tastes great. But, uh, Michaela was never that way, Michaela would never try anything, like, well, just try green bean, no, just try this, no, no, just, well, if you just try it, you'll like it. So we liked to cruise as a family, we took her on a cruise one year, my wife always ordered escargot as her appetizer, which is... Snails. Right? I know some of you never had it, think gross, but listen, they slather it in butter and cheese. Right? So I'm just pretty much of the opinion, just about anything cooked in butter and slathered with cheese, I can eat, right? Like I'm good with it. So I'll eat a less cargo. We finally got Michaela and we said, hey baby, just try it. She's like, I'm not <laughs> not. I won't eat a green bean. You think I'm gonna eat a snail? Let's try it. We, we got her to try his cargo. You know what she did? She said, oh, that's good. Now, I could have sat around and told her all day long how good snails were. She was never going to buy it. Why? She had to try it for herself. And listen, that's what I'm trying to say. That's what the shepherd said about Jesus. That's what I'm telling about you about Jesus. There, Those of you here today who don't know Christ, let me tell you what the Bible says. Psalm 34, verse 8. I love this Bible verse. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say look and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say hear and see that the Lord is good. It doesn't say read and see that the Lord is good. It says taste and see that the Lord is good. And the shepherds heard from God. They heard from angels and that wasn't good enough. They had to taste and see to find out how awesome Jesus is. And I want to say to you, you don't find out uh, how awesome Jesus is by hearing about Jesus. You find out when you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm gonna tell you here today, if you're saved, some of you know Jesus, but you don't know him, know him. You're too busy to know him. You're too busy to find about him. You're too busy to grow in your relationship with him. You got too much going on. What if those shepherds had not have went down? I mean, you just got too, you're too busy. And I'm trying to say to you, there is knowing Jesus in salvation. And then there's knowing Jesus. Paul said, as a believer, that I may know him. We used to sing that old song. He gets sweeter as the days go by. You remember that song? He only gets sweeter as I get to know him, know him. And some of you here today, you know Jesus, but you don't know him, know him. And some of you here today, you don't know Jesus at all. You're on the outside looking in. You're on the outside saying, well, can I take all their word for it? Listen, I'm just trying to tell you, we can't tell you how good it is to know Jesus. Leads me to number three. Number three, don't get too busy for Jesus tells me this. Once you've seen him, you have to share him. Verse 17 and 18, it's exactly what the shepherds did. They saw Jesus, they couldn't help but start telling people, and they used this phrase, I love it. They made widely known, verse 17. They made widely known the same. They had good news that was too good to hold on to. And I want to tell you that once you've met Jesus, once you know him, that ought to be true for every one of us. What would we have thought of those shepherds if they'd kept the news of the Savior of the world being born quiet unto themselves? No. Once they've seen him, you can't help but share him. Once you've experienced him, you can't help but tell others. See, once you have met Jesus, but you know why some of us don't? Oh, we get so busy. We get so busy. We forget that we need to tell others about Jesus. We forget. We're so busy. We don't have time. And let me tell you what's happened when that happens. When you're too busy to invite someone to church, when you're too busy to pick up an invite card and hand it out to somebody you know this week, let me tell you what's happened. We've gotten over being saved. We've forgotten what it's like to be lost and rescued by a Savior who died on the cross for our sins because, because when something great that, like that happens to us, you can't help. But when you experience something so wonderful, you can't help but tell others. I put this photo up on Instagram this week. Throw that up on the screen, guys. Anybody see this photo? There's a guy driving around Atlanta with a working TV strapped to his Hummer and he's playing the SEC Championship game over and over and over. <laughs> That's not a joke. That is not a joke. I followed the story a little bit this week, and the police actually had him pulled over at one time, but it wasn't for the game. His Hummer had broken down. He was just sitting in the middle of the road showing the SEC championship game in the middle of Atlanta. Why in the world would somebody strap what looks like about a 60-inch television on the back of a Hummer and show the SEC championship game over and over? Because I tell you why, folks. We ain't Alabama. We're not used to this. <laughs> right? This is awesome. This is awesome for us Georgia fans. And listen, when Georgia beat Auburn, we went around telling everybody we're the SEC championship, champions. Why? Because something great had happened to our football team. Shouldn't it be that way with Christ? Right? Like, shouldn't we be just as proud of our salvation? When you've experienced Jesus, when you've experienced salvation, when you've experienced victory over sin, when you've experienced... Fellowship of the Spirit of God. Why aren't we walking around telling everybody we know? Why aren't we inviting everyone we know to church? Here's why. We get too busy with all the other things of life and we get over being saved. Once you've seen him, you have to share him. You can't get too busy for Jesus. We learn it in the origin story. You can get too busy, but you shouldn't. So here's my plea. Somebody please make room for Jesus. Hey, that's true for the Christian. That's true for the non-Christian. You're here today, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. There, There is no excuse. Whatever you're holding on to right now that you think will work, won't work. If you're here today and you know Christ is Savior and you've experienced the Spirit of God live within your heart, why don't we go deeper and deeper and deeper into that relationship? The reason is we, we get too busy for Jesus. Hey, we're, we're no different than the innkeeper, if there was an innkeeper, who says, hey, I, I, don't, I don't have any room in my inn, sorry. Here's what we're saying Hey, Jesus, I don't have any room in my life for prayer. I don't have any room in my life for that church stuff. I don't have any room in my life for reading the Bible. I don't have any room in my life. Gee, my life is full. I know, man, I know of all the wrong things. Somebody please make room for Jesus because the proof's in the pudding, right? Like once you know Christ, you're like, oh, I get it. But once you grow with Christ, You get it. Once you see him, you got to share him and busyness is the enemy of all that. So let me ask you this morning. Do you know Jesus as your savior? Isn't it about time this morning you just stopped all the silly excuses of why you're not a believer? Now I'm not talking down to you. I had all those same silly excuses in my life and so did everybody else here. You know why? Because there's an enemy who fights that every step of the way. But it's all silly. None of it will work standing before God one day. And you say, well, preacher, you don't know about my life. I don't, I don't, I don't. But God is saved far worse than you. It's time you made room in your life for Jesus. You can do it as simple as A, B, C. A, admit you. Can't earn your way to heaven. Work your way. You just gotta admit you can't get to heaven on your own. You can't flip over a new leaf, start a new program. None of that's gonna work. You gotta admit, hey, I can't work my way to heaven. Give my way to heaven. Earn my way to heaven. None of us did. B. You've gotta believe he died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. C. You've gotta confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible said, "Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." So, what are you waiting? On? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Pivine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.pvine.org. Thanks for listening.